We have grown relatively numb and deaf to hyperbole, outrageous statements, and offensive statements, for the most part. It's not all universally true, but for the most part. I remember growing up in the 1990s and the advent of the shock jocks, these radio DJs who would say outrageous and offensive things on the regular radio. Those pale in comparison to what is said now on different forms of entertainment that people consume daily. It was shocking and offensive. I remember as a little kid, my mom would not let us watch The Simpsons growing up, and now what's on TV makes The Simpsons look like a Disney film from the 1950s almost. It's amazing, though, how that impacts us. Because when we hear something that's outrageous or ridiculous in any form in our life, we tend to kind of, ah, well, that's just so-and-so being such-and-such, right? We kind of push it to the side. And there's a danger, therefore, to you and me when we hear Jesus' words today. You just say, ah, there's just Jesus being hyperbolic again. But the letter to the Hebrew says, The word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword. When Jesus speaks in the Gospels, he is the living word of God. His word is eternal. He speaks to you and to me in the same way that he spoke to those people following him in 2,000 years ago on the way to Jerusalem. Now, remember where we are in the Gospel of Luke. Luke's Gospel is one long journey to Jerusalem. So here we have Jesus in the 14th chapter, the healer, the teacher. People are following him. They love him. They're basically on a path to Disney World, they think. They're going to Jerusalem. And right before they enter, he turns around and he says to them, If anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Then he doubles down. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Brothers and sisters, these words should shake us to the very core of who we are. This should challenge our entire perception of the world and also our relationship with Jesus. Why is he saying this to us? I love my mother and father, and yet Jesus is calling me to hate them. How can that be so? I don't have a wife or children, but I'm sure you feel similarly about your wife and children as I do to my mother and father and my siblings. How can Jesus say this to us? And not only that, how can he tell us, his beloved disciples, that in order to be a disciple, we must carry this instrument of torture and death? What is Jesus asking of you and me? Ultimately, what the Lord is pointing to for us is that we must love him for who he is if we are to truly love our brothers, and our sisters. In the second reading from St. Paul's letter to Philemon, we hear of St. Paul's relationship with Onesimus. Onesimus is a slave who has run away. And because of the law at that time, he has forfeited his right to live. He has no right to live. In fact, his sending back, being sent back to his master is a death sentence. He is the lowest of the low. He has no value in that society whatsoever. And yet St. Paul speaks of him, not as just a friend, not as just some guy who is nice to me, but I am sending you Onesimus. That is my heart. 
St. Paul's love for our Lord. St. Paul's willingness, as we know this is at the end of his life, to endure hardships, persecutions, stonings, beatings, admonitions, means that he is able to love Onesimus with the love that God has for him. And so he sees him not as a worthless slave or someone who has forfeited his life or something to be thrown away, but as his very heart. And this is the love that God offers to each of us if we are willing and able to follow him, to put him first. And he puts this language in the language of the family because the family is the building block of society. And the love that husband and wife have for each other is the closest thing we have in this world to the love that God the Father has for each and every one of us. Because the love of husband and wife is supposed to be a love that says, you are worth it. Not what you give to me, but you as a beloved son, a beloved daughter, you as someone totally opposite are worth it. Because there's going to come a time in every marriage, and frankly, even in a priestly or religious vocation, where you're not going to recognize yourself. And lo and behold, you're also going to be frustrated and you know, discombobulated by the other person. And yet that love that you have is I choose you for who you are, not what I get in return. Because if we continue to have a transactional relationship with other people, if I love you insofar as you give me something back, that is a counterfeit love. It is not real love. And in fact, that's what leads to hatred and division. When you start to fail to give that thing back to me that I desire, now you are an enemy. But with the love that comes from God, you are the beloved. You are, as St. Paul says, my very heart. And so we are called to desire this type of love. But the love of husband and wife starts with the love of God and with a willingness to sacrifice for the other person. I've been thinking a lot about marriage because I have, I've had a number of weddings this summer and I have a few more coming up this fall. But one thing I do at every wedding at which I preside is I give the couple a crucifix. And I say to them, this is the measure of your love. Everyone in the world will tell you what a diff- there's a different measure for love. But that is the measure of love. And that crucifix, that total gift of self for the other, who offers you nothing in return. Remember this. Jesus is God. Our worship gives him nothing. Our sanctity, he gains nothing from that because he has everything. His love is perfect gift. His love is perfect sacrifice. And that is what we are called to. And until we have that, everything in our life is in some way limping, a sham, or less than it could be. But when we get that right, when our eyes are fixed on the Lord, no matter how far we have been, no matter what we have done, He heals us, He renews us, He restores us, and He gives us the ability to love. St. Paul consented to the murder of St. Stephen. St. Paul is the great apostle to the Gentiles. Why? Because Jesus loved him. Because Paul was willing to receive that love, to be healed, and then to go forth with the courage of his eyes fixed on the Lord. Not on his own sins, not on his brokenness, but on the love that comes from God the Father and the mercy that flows from the side of Jesus Christ. This is what we are all called to. 
But where and how do we get there? The first thing is this. We see this in the letter to, uh, I'll get to that. The first thing is this. We need to ask our lives. We need to assess our lives. We need to sit down and we need to say, what am I doing right now that is really sacrificial for God? What in my life am I doing that is really hard that is for God? Now, this could take on any number of forms. Is it a struggle right now for you to get to Sunday Mass? Make that a priority. Are you struggling to receive God's mercy and go to confession? Are you struggling to love someone in your life? What can you do to sacrifice, knowing that you may not get anything in return? And then... Here's the thing, you look at your life, and if you're anything like me, you look and you see myriad options of places where you should be doing a lot more for our blessed Lord, and you think, well, what am I supposed to do? And this is the great beauty that we get in the first reading from the Book of Wisdom. Ask God. Pray about it. Who and who alone reveals God's ways to us? God. Ask him, Lord, what should I be doing? How can I love you more? How can I love my neighbor more? How can I be closer to you and to be a saint? What's the next step, Lord, you're asking me to take? We have to pray. We have to receive those graces of the sacraments. So let's be clear. God is telling you right now, if you're not praying every day and you're not going to the sacraments, that's where you need to start. But if you are doing those things, he's calling you to deeper union. And the only place you're going to hear that, know that voice, is in the silence of prayer. In that practice of listening and speaking to God. Because God desires for us not to be deaf to the struggles and the problems of the world, but to be the healing balm. To be the redemption, the mercy that comes from Jesus. There's this beautiful prayer, prayer from St. Teresa of Avila where she says, Jesus, or God has no hands now but yours, no mouth now but yours, no eyes now but yours. When we know this, we're able then to speak the word of God into a world that is torn apart and, rent, and just blasted apart by divisive rhetoric, hateful speech, actions of disregard for the well-being of other people. But it all starts with Jesus who shows us the measure of the love who invites you to a life of freedom he invites you not to follow him to Disney World but to the heavenly Jerusalem the place where you will be free filled with joy filled with the spirit that sends you forth to share your heart and to become one heart with everyone and everything